the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. And come and join us in the chat. Why? Why? Because this is a, a listener interactive episode. This is a mailbag episode. And a reminder, if you would like to add a question to the big old bag of mail, the best way to do it is to leave a five-star review. And in that review, put your mailbag question. Coming up later on, some questions around Shadur Sanders at Colorado, the role of apparel providers in college football recruiting, expectations for BYU in the Big 12, and much more. But we begin... Danny, with uh, the probably the the biggest headline that we're going to get in all of college football, because Bill O'Brien, former Alabama offensive coordinator, uh, former Penn State head coach, former Houston Texans head coach, is headed back to New England to link up with Bill Belichick, to link up with Mac Jones, uh, and to be the new offensive coordinator of the Patriots. Now, there is obviously now a, a huge hole in one of the most important staffs in all of college football, but it's one that we've been looking at for a while, right? I mean, we've been talking about you know, Bill O'Brien needing to make a change. Where is Nick Saban going to find a new home for him? Maybe maybe he put in the call to his old buddy, Bill Belichick, and was like, hey, what do you think about this? This is a win-win situation. So I, I, I want to start with that clearly it's not a surprise the way we've been talking about Bill O'Brien and his future with the Crimson Tide. What do you think happens next for Alabama? Oh, they got good options. You know that. I mean, you know, Nick Saban, it's going to be an attractive landing spot for a lot of names that are out there. Um, 
It's a massive year for Bama. I mean, I've already, you know, I've been pretty vocal. I don't think it's the end of the dynasty. I think it's the end of the dominance, right? Mm -hmm. And we saw that start to creep in this year. And I think you're going to see that continue to erode, the dominance. But this is massive. Like, And I think when you look at dynasties coming to a close, it's like, do you miss on quarterbacks or you know, plural, because I do think it takes a couple, and do you miss on coordinators? And we have both coordinators leaving Alabama – but like you pointed out, this is good news for a lot of Bama fans. They're tired of you know seeing the same offense and seeing Pete Golding's defense get torched by Tennessee and others and Georgia. You know, who, pick your offense that's torn them apart. I'll say who I would call number one, but I think there's zero chance it happens. Was that Dan Mullen? Like I think he would be my first call if I'm Nick Saban. What's your interest? I think Dan Mullen would say thanks, Nick. I really appreciate the opportunity, but I am having a great time doing what I'm doing. It's very low stress. And I remember I had a conversation with Dan Mullen on the radio show. Uh, like we were doing breaks. Like he comes on right after us. We were just kicking it around. And he was telling a story about how like his last year, he started to look at other coaches after wins. And he's like, you couldn't tell. He's like, they, he's like, so I really want to make a point of enjoying wins and enjoying success like if that's what he's looking for for his next job i would not recommend going to tuscaloosa because like no one enjoys their wins less than nick saban right he is all business all the time so i don't think it's a good fit i think it'd be a phenomenal hire like if he somehow saban's able to pull that off watch out i might pull back the whole dynasty is coming to a close statement i think he makes a lot of sense I think we've um, already heard, by the way, some reporting that Dan Mullen is happy. Good. Yeah, yeah, he's he's happy spending more time with his family. He's happy getting into the broadcasting, and I think that he's enjoyed it enough that you know. And like, this is something that maybe you can even speak to. We don't need to make this a Dan Mullen cast, but when you start to get into the industry, one thing that I've heard from a lot of former players and a lot of former coaches is that you can like it and you can want to get better. And, you know, you get a little taste of it and you're like, okay, so this is, you know, in the same way that you approach, you know, game planning or studying a playbook or trying to figure out what to do, you start to figure out the way things work. And that was the the report that I saw is that Dan Mullen was really enjoying broadcasting and like wants to continue to do it because we all recognize him as being very, very good on TV and he can get even better. And it's, I think that he's probably way more invested than that than going into the high-pressurized situation of being Nick Saban's offensive coordinator. And guess what else is going to happen? As he gets better and better at broadcasting, he gets a bigger and bigger platform, and his, his like star continues to rise. His coaching star, like he becomes that much more attractive as a coaching hire. Look at Sean Payton, like in, in the NFL. He is the hottest commodity right now. And a large part, it's because a lot that's transpired, but I can envision a scenario if there's another SEC job that comes open, you know, wherever it is that Dan Mullen would be target number one to go after, especially if he's another year in, you know, at ESPN and he's calling games and he's doing studio, he's doing all of it. Absolutely. He'll be one of the, he'll be one of the hottest coaching figures. So I think for a lot of coaches that have gone to the Saban Rehab Center, you know, to get their careers revived, they've kind of had to, right? I mean, whether it was personal issues, whether it was they kind of had fallen on hard times and maybe they weren't as, you know, hot names. 
Well, it's like Lane Kiffin got left at the tarmac. Steve Sarkeesian had personal issues, and you know they've obviously both rebounded into some of right. the better jobs at the Power Five level that you can have right now. I mean, there is an opportunity for a rebound for sure. Yeah. So like uh, that's where, but that's where I don't think Dan Mullen needs it. I don't think he needs a rebound. He's already rebounding right now as we speak, as he becomes more and more attractive on TV. Um, I see uh, Larry in the chat. Said yeah, we're going to, I was going to ask. I was going to ask if Saban can uh, has any translators that can go to Thailand <laughs> and be able to go oh, get Cliff Kingsbury out of there. I'm sure he's got a jet that's fueled up, ready to go. If he wanted to go that direction, I don't know if the system makes sense for what Saban wants to do. I also think you have to find a coach who's will. And I think this is why Garrett Riley didn't go to Texas A&M. I think he goes to Clemson, and it's here's your offense, do whatever you want to do. I am not going to mess with you. And I don't think that happens at, at Alabama. I think it's, you're going to be the offensive coordinator, but you're going to have to answer to Coach Saban in, in many situations. When you're formulating the game plan on game day, during game day, if you're throwing it too much, you know, if you're not doing what he's wanting, you're going to have to answer to him. And that's where I think Cliff Kingsbury at a point, and, and not only that, but I think the system fit is not not good. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah, if that yeah. air raid system is one that Saban really would be doing jumping jacks for. Have you started to think about the quarterback outlook and how that may or may not play a role here? Because it, there is a baby Dan Mullen out there, and I don't mean baby in terms of you know being a, a younger one, but Brian Johnson is currently the quarterback's coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was a quarterback's coach, offensive assistant under Dan Mullen at Mississippi State when Dak Prescott was there. Now, when those offenses, of which, of which Mullen's definitely the architect, Brian Johnson, you know, that experience plus good gravy, what, you know, he's been able to do with Jalen Hurts and what that Philadelphia Eagles offense has been looking like, especially here in 2022, you might have to wait a little while to go and make that hire. But if you make that hire, then it also has me looking at Jalen Milrow and it has me looking at Ty Simpson. And that's another place where this fork is a little bit interesting when we look at the Crimson Tide in 2023 because Milrow, clearly uh, the way that he was used was as almost like Jalen Hurts' freshman season when it was very much a passing threat, but this is a running game and being able to utilize the the, the way that he can make a difference with his size, 6'3", 225 I know they ran the ball almost as much as they threw it in that Texas A&M game. Um, oh, in total, a lot more than they threw it, but running it with Milrow a good bit too. Like Brian Johnson, the work that he's done with Jalen Hurts, that one is sort of bubbled up as one that if we don't hear a lot of movement on this early, I would not be surprised if if he's going to be someone that they at least want to talk to uh, before going and making a move. For sure. He's a very hot name. He's even getting talked about to make the jump just from Philly as the quarterback coach to a head head coach. Like that name has been out there. I don't think Jalen and Milrow is the quarterback next year. Um, I think it's Ty Simpson or somebody else. Um, just watching Jalen Milrow's skill set. I mean, there was, I did see film of him at the bowl game running some routes at receiver. You know, I, I think Saban's going to utilize him somehow, but I don't think he's their quarterback. I could be wrong. I just, I don't, I don't think he's the quarterback next season. If you did go that route, Brian Johnson is an option. Greg Roman, who just resigned at the NFL level from the Ravens, they had a parting of ways. He had a lot of success going all the way back to Stanford with Harbaugh, so he's had some collegiate experience, then had a lot of success with running quarterbacks with Colin Kaepernick of the 49ers, and then obviously with Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. So I think that's a name to look out for. I'll give you one who 
makes a lot of sense too. Jeff Levy. Yeah. Now he, now he was the hottest name that was out there coming off Ole Miss. Do you feel like it's cooled off somewhat? I mean, they still, at the end of the year, Dylan Gabriel got it going back. But considering he was in the SEC West, considering what Ole Miss did while he was there, and even their offense took a setback when when he left, I think Jeff Levy makes a ton of sense if he wanted to get that gig. Ty Simpson was a five-star prospect coming out of high school, ranked as the number three quarterback in his class. Uh, he is someone who could sit back there within that Levy offense and sling it around in a way that could be incredibly uh, incredibly prolific and where we could see the Jeff Levy system really be able to click. Like Jeff Levy hired does lead me to believe that Ty Simpson's going to have a leg up in that battle and is probably going to be the quarterback for 2023. We still have to answer the wide receiver, you know, situation as we've seen a lot of players leave uh, Alabama and it, that position hasn't had great development recently, but I think I'd make that move if I was Jeff Lebby. Like if I was Jeff Lebby and I'm looking at Oklahoma making the move to the SEC, wouldn't you rather be linking up at Alabama then be with Oklahoma as Oklahoma makes the splash into the SEC. I mean, if you talk to Dust, is Dusty talking about Jeff Levy and the potential community yeah, to see here? All right, what's for sure. Now, Dusty wants Levy to stay. That's his, you know, like he wants him to stay. But I think if you looked, I mean, you're coming off a six and seven year with Brent Venables, and you know there were times when I think Oklahoma fans were even pointing the finger at Jeff Levy. I'm sure that didn't feel great, you know, and. Dylan Gabriel came in. Now, the finish was great. They kind of finished strong down the stretch. But, yeah, job security. Like, if you want to be that next head man, like, the future is unclear at Oklahoma with how how they bounce back, right? Year two of Venables, there's a ton of pressure on you there. And you wouldn't be surprised. Like, it's unclear. At Bama, like, worst case is probably your 9-3 and three or 10-2. and two. And you might still be catching heat just like Bill O'Brien did. But look what happened to Bill O'Brien. Like, he still got a job as an offensive coordinator in the NFL with one of the best franchises there. So, yeah, for job security, trying to parlay it. Like, if, if Levy, which I do think he wants to be a head coach, like, he goes there in one year if Bama's back on track and they're back in the SEC title game and the offense is clicking with Ty Simpson, who I do think will be the starter then yeah, Levy's going to have a tremendous opportunity. And if he wants that opportunity, Oklahoma, don't you think they have to go 10 and two like this year and show like a ton of improvement for him to get that the job that he wants, not just any job, but the job that he wants, which would be a really good power five job. The one good thing that they have uh, at Oklahoma is Jackson Arnold, you know, the five, like huge five-star top 10 uh, overall player in that 2023 class uh, coming to Oklahoma and no doubt coming with the idea that he is going to be running Jeff Levy's system. So like that would really sting if, if Levy ends up leaving, it would sting for Jackson Arnold. It would, you know, the reason to stay if I'm Jeff Levy or, or not to just automatically be sliding my resume under the door uh, is to know that you've got a chance to be able to take that launching off point because of the success that you expect that you're going to have with the player of Jackson Arnold's ceiling uh, being right there in Norman. Do you think there's any weird candidates out there? Any Anything that could catch you off guard? The mystery name. If he promotes internally, I'm going to think that Nick Saban's on his way out. Or, like, what does that say about his inability to bring the big name in? Yeah. You know, like, that would, to me, would be a, 
I struck out on a lot of these names. Right. And that would not be a good sign. And that'd no, be, no, no. you know, like that would not be great. No, we yeah. expect Nick Saban based on his um, tenure on the, uh, at the offensive coordinator position, at least like if he promotes on the defensive side, that's just what he did. Right. He had Kirby forever. Kirby leaves. He promotes Pete Golding. Like if, if they decide to promote internally on the defensive side, then I'm not going to be alarmed offensively. You know, You've gone out and you've gotten Lane Kiffin. You've gone out and you've gotten Steve Sarkeesian. You have uh, gone out and gotten Bill O'Brien. Like There is a, a trend of being able to go and get a name of someone who has either head coaching experience and or um, a good offensive reputation. If this is not a splashy hire, then I, I think that my, uh, my warning signs and my alarm bells for Alabama might be ringing a little bit louder for sure. Do you know what name I was I, – I, I saw a couple people put this name out there. Oh, I got one for you. I got a legit one and one that I was surprised. Jeff Scott, like I was a little bit surprised that name was out there. I don't know if that would actually blow – I don't think that would blow away Bama fans at all. But Joe Brady, what about Joe Brady who's out there, was the Bills quarterback coach this year. Of course, he had the 2019 run with Joe Brady. and made, like that, that trio might be the greatest trio in the history of college football, so that might have had something to do with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and, and uh, Joe Burrow. But I think Joe Brady would be an attractive hire who hasn't you know, fared the way he wanted to in the NFL, but you bring him back in the SEC West, and you know he's going to have you – know, you don't know if he's going to have that type of talent, but he's going to have some talent to work with. Does, I mean, does Joe Brady look at Ken Dorsey and think that Ken Dorsey might be getting fired and Joe Brady Possibly. can get a promotion pretty shit, pretty soon? Possibly. Because the way yes. that things went for Buffalo, I mean, you listen, you you cover the NFL for CBS Sports, you, you know this a little bit better, but didn't that Buffalo offense regress a little bit after Dayball left? In the postseason, Josh Allen actually had the exact same 63% per, uh, completion percentage, like 35 and 10 touchdowns last year. It was 34 like 35 and 11, like it, it's eerie how identical the numbers are, but there was a postseason collapse like that was colossal. Last year, he was nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. This year, he was three touchdowns, three interceptions, and a big reason why they got balanced at home. Uh, but yes, to your point, Brady might be looking around and just saying, okay, maybe if I just stay, hold Pat here, I could get to work with Josh Allen if Dorsey doesn't work out. It's like, especially if Burrow and Chase and Jefferson keep balling, it's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh, hey, boss, I'm just yeah. sitting here watching the 2019 title game, you know, right. just, just just watching an offense that I, I played a key role in uh, in helping orchestrate and put together. I, I, so you, I, I think Joe Brady would be a very good hire. That would be in line with one of the ones that has me being like, okay, yes. all right, buckle up. Let's see what happens. Jeff Scott would not. No. Jeff, Jeff Scott, listen, that was all set up for him to be able to – you know, just go off and pave his own path. And and I thought it was going to work out. I, I really, really did. I Danny, I turned in a writing assignment for CBS Sports. It'll be up on the site later. Grading uh, coaches who just finished their third year, like grading their three-year tenure. He had one win against an FBS opponent in 30 games. And that mm -hmm. was against Temple in the last year of Rod Carey being the head coach at Temple. Like, yeah. there was just, like, they flirted with uh, Florida. It was that one game, you know, where they got a little bit dicey with the Gators and they got a little close at Cincinnati. But man, that was just not a competitive team. Um, I don't, I don't know what he's going to do for the year, but I do not think that that would um, do much more for me other than say, okay, Jeff, 
I think you and I texted about this, but he did a good job of developing the wide receiver position at Clemson in a way that I do think he was missed. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know if Jeff Scott would be the uh, the home run hire that I'd be looking for, especially with some of these other names that are out there right now. Last thing before we move, what do you think timing on this? Like within with it by Friday or like within a week? I would not be surprised if we don't get an answer until even after National Signing Day. And I wanted to mention this too. Alabama has no coordinators. They are currently number one in the nation with a 28 commit signing class that includes seven five stars, 24 stars, and a average per player rating of (laughs) 94.84. That's insane. That's the power of Nick Saban. Like you power don't, of Bama. you don't have coordinators, and it's like, nope, we're good. Yeah, no concerns, no flips. Everybody's good. Yeah, the average per player rating ninety four point eight four seven five stars, twenty four stars, and just one three star. Who I can only assume. I don't have the whole class pulled up. I've got to assume that's a long snapper, or at least like a punter <laughs> or a kicker or something. Um, this. This is like to your point, the the crux of your initial, if I remember correctly, the crux of your initial Alabama analysis was the one score games, right? Yeah. Just go back and say, okay. Like, right. They, it's like games where they used to bounce back after a loss and they'd be like a 19 and a half point favorite and they'd win by 40. They would just dust the opponent. Like this year, it was almost like they played down to some of the competition. You know, and it's just the the dominance that was there where there was really one or two close games against really good opponents. Now, all of a sudden, you know, they're in a dogfight with Texas A&M when they were a three-touchdown favorite, maybe four. Yeah. You know? Will be uh, very interesting. I agree with you. This is a crucial time for the Nick Saban era in the Alabama Crimson Tide, changing over both coordinators after back-to-back seasons where the margins between you and the competition uh, have been narrowed significantly from uh, where they were. All right, let's, uh, let's let's stay in the SEC real quick. Josh Heupel got a $4 million raise. Josh Heupel uh, is now up to $9 million annually. The initial contract and the initial review that we had here on the Cover 3 podcast was, hey, He's going to have a fun offense and he'll sell tickets and it'll be a great bridge coach. This ain't bridge coach money, Danny. Do you think Josh Heupel is Tennessee's capital G guy moving on into the future? This one for me, my reaction to this has nothing to do with Josh Heupel and everything to do with the state of college football. And what are we doing? (laughs) <laughs> like, 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 why? What's the? Why is this necessary right now? Like, you couldn't have waited another year just to see if he could put a stamp on this season and build and have another really good season before you go back up the truck and put in these. The thing about it to me, it's not so much the nine million because Mark Stoops just got nine million at Kentucky. You know, like the the going rate for the top top tier of college football. Is 12, 11, 12. That's Saban. That's Kirby. That's Dabo. Right. And then, like, there's this tier at nine, which I think even Mel Tucker might be at nine, right? Nine and a half somewhere. So, like, it's not the number. It's the the lack of need to do this now other than to just spend the money because you're flush with cash. And these schools, especially after coming off a season like that, game day was there twice. Ticket sales are through the roof. Admissions, I'm sure, are flying off the shelves. They're even still they're asking for money to pay for the goalpost, but that's a whole nother story. But like, there's a lot of influx of money 
and Bud always says they're going to spend it because they have to. Like they have to give it. At some point, is there going to be a point where schools realize, and maybe it's only when they have to, they're going to say, you know what? Some of this money we should designate towards the players because that gap keeps growing and growing. It's only going to make the crowd louder that says these players aren't getting paid anything. Even with NIL, there still are a significant portion of players who are making either zero or just a scholarship or, you know, like a $25,000, you know, like blanket NIL deal across the board. But at some point, I do think these schools are going to wake up either because they have to or they're going to realize, you know what? Like coaching is important and we need a face of our program, but the roster is that much more important. And when you see checks starting to bounce and some of those funds not coming in at some of these collectives, I think the sooner these schools realize that, they're going to be better, you know, better off. Because what uh, Jimbo, was it after the 2020 year when they were on the cusp of the playoff? Yeah. And they were five. like, we love Jimbo. Let's go. Let's back it up. Let's fully guarantee his deal and add on another few years and bump him up to where he needs to be. Like ask ask AM how they're feeling about that deal now. To me, it's just it's kind of just frivolous, nonsensical like spending. But you you can do it. So it's not a Josh. Like I think Josh Heupel's phenomenal. He did a great job, but it just seemed unnecessary. But yet it's what college football is right now. I don't think there are many places that would do this. I think Tennessee's <laughs> unique. I think that Tennessee has so much like around it and ten the Tennessee fan base has been so hungry to experience what it got to experience on that day that third Saturday in October and that like the memories from that uh, are the kind of things that go up in your facility you know the that was the kind of thing that I think they were able to capitalize on from a fundraising standpoint and on that fundraising note uh, I saw this report from Ross Dellinger. Shout out to Ross. He's a huge fan of the show. Uh, there is a new deal for athletic director Danny White as well that is, quote, according to Dellinger, believed to make him the highest paid SEC athletic director and one of the top eight paid athletic directors nationally, a rolling six-year contract worth $2.2 million. We remember Danny White came from UCF. He hired Josh Heupel from UCF. It just kind of feels like everybody came to the table and they dumped out all the winnings from the season and we're just sliding it across. Yeah, it's like uh, the scene in training day where they break in and they get all the money and you know they're banging the money together, throwing it to everybody. And I'll tell you what, there's no Ethan Hawke there who's going to refuse to take the money. This is like everyone is ready to accept the money that's being handed out from what has been a massive, massive year or two of fundraising, of success, and of excitement that's been building within that Tennessee community. Flush with cash. And the S- the new SEC contract money hasn't even hit the table yet <laughs> when that gets 100 mil per school. Like, there's plenty to go around. They have to spend it. I and mean, that's what Bud always point is, so why not? Jeez. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, congratulations to to Josh Heupel. You got, got yourself yeah. a new lake house. Let's go. Or two. <laughs> Uh, all right, one last uh, one last little bit of news before we open up the big old bag of mail. And also, uh, if if you've got a question that is almost like a mailbag question, feel free to go ahead and drop it in. We'll hit one of these uh, before the break. On the Pat McAfee show, uh, where, where news is broken, Deion Sanders says that he he hinted 
at Willie Taggart. You know, Willie Taggart could be walking through that door. Uh, Mike Zimmer could be walking through that door. We already know that uh, the offensive coordinator is going to be Sean Lewis, the former head coach of Kent State. The defensive coordinator for the Buffs is going to be Charles Kelly. Do you foresee Dion rounding out this staff with a, a couple former head coaches? Willie Taggart, of course, uh, just fired from FAU. Mike Zimmer was an analyst, I believe, or on the staff with him at Jackson State. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you make of uh, Dion rounding out this staff potentially with some big names? I mean, should we even be surprised at all with what's transpired so far? I mean, he really is. You know, I was at the in SoFi with Clat, and I talked to him about it a little bit. And he's like, I don't know if it's going to work, but he's already doing what we want him to do. Like, he's making Colorado relevant. He's bringing players. He's bringing staff members. Even even Tim Brewster, who we had the little scuffle back and forth, the little Twitter words, which I didn't mean to offend anybody as bad as they offended him. Like, he's a, he's a well-respected coach who's one of the better recruiters that are out there. Willie Tagger coming, exceptional recruiter, and a name brand like Buzzy. And I know it, you know, it didn't go great at the end of Florida State, and there's a lot of Florida State fans that aren't thrilled with him, and they'd be like, good, take him. He's still a buzzy name that like creates a talking point. It creates like a flat, like, yeah, I'm not surprised that anybody would come. If Mike Zimmer was willing to be an analyst on his staff at Jackson State, why wouldn't he do it at Colorado? Like, it's of course, like, yeah, he's going to bring in exactly what they want him to do. Now the question is, what do you do once the play starts? You know, like that to me is the only, like that's why I can't wait to get there because there's going to be so much talk and we're going to talk about it all throughout the season. Yep. But yeah, he's going to deliver on a lot. I mean, he delivered at Jackson State and he's going to deliver at Colorado and maybe he's over exceeding expectations because I think early was like, well, Boulder, you know, it's hard to get kids to go there. Coaching, recruiting's hard. I don't think, I think, People want to follow Dion. He's got a little Pied Piper to him, like, hey, come follow me. And and coaches are smart. They know that there's going to be a lot of attention and their names are going to recirculate as well and be in the football conversation, which is good for everybody. It's good for Colorado, and it's good. It's kind of like when you go be a coach at Bama. And I'm not saying Dion is Nick Saban, but we all kind of know Saban's staff more so than a lot of, a lot of schools. And I think we're going to know – Dion's staff more so than a lot of schools because they're going to get talked about a lot. Mm. Well, on that note, coming up on the other side, we open up the big old bag of mail, beginning with a question about Shador Sanders, Dion's son, and the quarterback battle for the Buffs in 2023. All that and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, opening up the big old bag of mail. And again, if you're watching live, feel free to drop a question in there. Uh, We will hit some listener questions from the chat as well throughout this podcast segment. Uh, We begin. Oh, best way to do it, leave a five-star review. And then in that review, put your question. First one. Does Shador Sanders really deserve to start at Colorado? And will Colorado really be that good? I know they are hyped up with Dion and just landed Cormani McLean, but they lack depth and really don't seem like they'll be much better than last year. Just want to know how is Colorado support supposed to compete against the big boys next season in the Pac-12? Hmm. Does I'll tackle does, the first part. Shador Sanders does deserve to start because to my eye, Shador Sanders is the most talented option that they have in that quarterback room. Yes. I don't like the way he was announced as a starter, though. Fair. Um, I think I think Dion, if you want to set a precedent of competing, which is every good team ever been, you got to compete and earn your job. And I think after he introduced him, he did try to say that. He's like, he's going to compete. But, he, I mean, he introduced him as this is our starting quarterback. So it's kind of hard to go back on that and why I think guys have left. I'd be like, Dad, chill. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, but, I, but, what, but then he would have said, Dad, stop talking about number two that way. Like He's cut from the same cloth, right? He, he's, he's ready for it. But – I mean, he's a four-star, which is probably the best quarterback they've had there in a while. I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess. He produced and put up really good numbers when he was at Jackson State, and I get that the competition wasn't there. I'll tell you what, I did not break down a lot of Jackson State fan, but uh, film, but I did watch their um, bowl game, and it was, it was impressive, like orchestrating the offense, running the two-minute drill. He made some really good throws at the end of the game, so – I'd like the question, does he deserve to start or is he like, is he good enough to start? Absolutely. Like deserve to me is an interesting question because I think he should start as the first stringer and keep his job, which really doesn't matter who you are. I mean, at every place I've ever been, like you had to earn your keep. And I think that's what Dion will do. But yeah, like I don't think it's nepotism. I don't think it's like he handed, you know, He's not going to hand the reins to. I mean, he didn't even admit it. He's like one of my boys isn't good enough, so he's not here. Like in his in his press conference, I think he's like, yeah, we got Shador here. He's like the other one. He's not good enough, so he stayed behind. Like he's not going to just put him out there if he can't play. I do think uh, will that they were only a one win team last year. Uh, So the part about they don't seem like they will be much better than last year. I disagree with that. I think they will be much better. The problem is how you can very, very quickly go from one win, one of the worst power five teams in the entire country, to being competitive against the Pac-12. But where does that show up in the win count against a schedule that includes at TCU, Nebraska, and Colorado State in the non-con, and against a uh, schedule in conference play, nine-game conference schedule that has at Oregon, USC at home, at UCLA, at Utah, and Oregon State at home. This is a schedule where I believe that they will be much better, capital M, much better, but they might still be a four and eight, five and seventeen. Which is right around where their win total, which opened at three and a half, is up to four and a half, was pegged. Um, 
It's what about this, though? Like one of the biggest turnarounds. I'll say if you want to see – let me try to go back because that was his first year. So Lance Leipold took over Kansas in one of the worst – I would say before there was Colorado this year, there was Kansas a year – you know, when Lance Leipold took it over, an even way worse situation. He took over it after spring football. Like it was late in the game, and it took him two years to see that turnaround really come to fruition – what was it two wins the first year? And then this past season, they go bowling. Like that's, but see, that's a realistic expectation for Dion. What I think is going to be interesting is because he gets so much attention and so much conversation. I mean, I've already seen the, the visceral reaction to either you say, like, Joel Klatt says they're going to be in the playoff contention year two. Or if I say, here's a coach that this wouldn't work in the NFL, and you just see the reaction. If they're three wins this year, which is better, and you could see progress, yeah, what it was a waste of money. Like, what are you doing with Dion? You know, but that would be progress. And then if you saw six wins the next season, that would be incredible progress. But I don't know if it's going to be enough for the Dion critics. But I do think they'll be better. I'm with you. It's just going to be really my inclination is to hammer the under a four and a half that first year, but. I'd still be a little bit nervous. Oh, see, I already know that Bud's going to be on the under, so I've decided I'm taking the over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just—I want to be. Under. Yeah, I'm—I'm I'm just going to be vibes and hype, and so yeah, I'm probably just going to take the over just to be able to ride it um, the entire way and 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 just just be along for the entertainment value. Speaking of entertainment value, um, the first game is at TCU. That's on the road. The second game of the season is the very first home game, and that is going to be against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. This is, of course, a renewal of a rivalry that's been going on for a very long time. Nebraska will be in year one with Matt Rule. Matt Rule has been making some references to his coaching style and how it compares to other coaching styles. Matt Rule says, I'm not going to be the type of coach with the camera crew following me. If you come to Nebraska, you're not going to have cameras all around. That's just not the way we do things. To which I go to the microwave, I put in my popcorn, and I get very, very excited because it is January 25th and Deion Sanders and Matt Rule already have the seedlings of Smack Talk heading into a massive home opener for Coach Prime and the Buffs on September 9th. Give me Colorado in the points. Let's go. <laughs> run, Ralphie, run. Is he still run or did they retire him? He's still oh, running, no. right? He still runs. And uh, the thing that Dion, he and Dion have in common is they both got eight toes. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, I, well, that's because Dion had to have his removed, right? Yeah. He had some he's, issue. He, he was talking to the trainer of Ralphie. And he was saying, he was like, he was like, man, I'm really nervous. You know, he's 800 pounds, you know, like this is making me re feel really uncomfortable. And he was said that uh, the, the, oh, he said, uh, Ralphie runs out first. Oh, good. So Ralphie's not running behind me. And he was getting more details about Ralphie and Ralphie's trainer says, you know, he's got uh, eight toes. And Dan was like, how about that? Ralphie and I have something in common. I've got eight toes too. <laughs> he's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, Game day will probably be there, right? Don't you think they got to jump on it early before their season falls apart? Like, there's no question. I mean, if if game day wants to be like totally sell out, just do the first two games. I mean, it's not like TCU <laughs> exactly. is lacking in hype either. Just go, just go on that rule. Entire. By the way, he doesn't have cameras. He goes in disguise. <laughs> Did you see that story? The, <laughs> Did you see the story the athletic put out? 
Uh-huh. It was like when he, it was like the, the I think it was oh, for the 34 the days. That, yeah. The 34 days behind Matt rules search for the perfect landing spot. And it said he put on like shades and a hat and walked around Lincoln unnoticed with his wife as they just wanted to take in the scene and ex- explore and get the experience. And he just knew it was for him from him because he went, I was I was in the back of my mind. I'm like, did Matt Rule really need a disguise in Lincoln? Like, like cool, right? Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure, you feel really, really secret agent on that yes. one. Good, good job, Matt. Uh, all right, let's go ahead. I got a couple questions from the chat, uh, sort of stemming back to some of our earlier conversation. Uh, this one, since we were talking about Alabama and this being a crucial point for the Nick Saban era, question it from LSU versus Far. What's up? Thanks for watching. Uh, do we think Alabama has at least one more national championship under Saban? If we did not have change, I would say no. But because we're getting 12 teams, he's going to get more opportunities, and I think he'll get another one. The chances are better that Alabama gets knocked off on a Saturday in October or November preventing a title run than if you let that Alabama team get into a playoff and then allow them to prepare for all of these games and go out there and compete. I'm with like you. they could be a nine and three national champion, you know, or by, and then by the, the time the seasons are, what would that be 12 and three, you know, 13 and whatever, how many games they have to go through to get there. They could be nine and three regular season and, and get hot and figure it out that like, like this year's team, like Nick Saban wasn't wrong when he was out there politicking and making the case for his team. They would have had a great chance to win it all they had to do it on the field to get there. Now you just have to get a seat at the table. I mean, it's, it's I mean, the largest bracket that we have, the most popular bracket that we have in American sports is the NCAA tournament. And even like the Cinderella years when it's UConn, who just happens to come off the eight seed and then make, or the seven or eight seed and make it all the way to the national championship, you know, Kentucky coming off the eight line, North Carolina coming off the eight line. Like it, According to your seed, it was a Cinderella story, but then you look up and you realize who the program is, and it's you no know, that's gonna that it will be Alabama. I'm with you. Expanded playoff increases the chance for one more title under Nick Saban. This next question coming from Craig. How important was Kirby to Alabama's success? Since he left for Georgia, he nearly beat Alabama in year two with Mark Rick's players, and Alabama's only other title is the COVID year. I'm, 17 was beating Georgia. 18, you lose to Clemson. 19 is LSU. 20 is the COVID year. Yeah. Um, I mean, clearly he was a big factor. He was a big role in him. He's the defensive coordinator for a large part of that run. Um, See, I'm going to push back on the idea that the only other year was the COVID year when they played for the national championship as a 14 and 0 undefeated team in 2018. Um, the fact that they played for the national championship in 2021 and beat Georgia uh, in the SEC championship in that season, I think that they've had enough cracks at it since since Kirby left for Georgia to to try and say that Kirby was the secret sauce in Alabama's success. Twenty percent. <laughs> C plus. Yes. 20% of the success All goes right. to Kirby. Let's uh let's let's dip back into the big old bag of mail. Uh this question 
is from Ryan. Hey guys, love the pod as always. It's great during final season. I hope you aced all your exams. Uh, I have the most important question of all. Who would win a golf weekend between the four of y'all? I feel like the favorite is Danny, but I like dark horse candidate Tom. Wow. It'd be well, first of all, we got Tom's got to get on the mend. Like he might his back's been messed up. Although I have a bad back too, but I can load up on Advil and suck it up and play through the pain. And get he the Theragun from shows. Don't you take the Theragun on the course? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. you got the rangefinder, the Theragun. <laughs> you got like a whole it's like, the new part of the golf bag. Like it just yeah. stays in there all the time, the Theragun. Bud um, might be sneaky good. He if we're takes- playing if we're playing with handicaps, then it, it would be a little more interesting. I think that I think Danny's definitely the betting favorite if we're just playing everything straight up. Yeah, but we'd have to get strokes. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'm, we'll have to do I'm it. In. You guys need to come down to South Florida. Come down my way. We'll go get a game in. We'll I'm do in. some work. We'll do we'll act like we're working. Come do a show. Well, let's we'll get studio. somebody to film us and like all of the everyone can watch it. Easy cover yeah. three content. All right, here's Ryan's question. I think it's interesting. But in all seriousness, uh, I know that sometimes a school's brand, meaning like the apparel brand, plays a big role in basketball. But I was wondering if that was the case in college football. There are a ton of factors in a recruit's decision and where to go. And I was wondering if this makes any difference. I was only wondering because all of the college football playoff national champions have been Nike schools. And a vast majority of the playoff teams are also Nike schools. No, does that include Jordan? Like, because I'm assuming he's because Oklahoma has been Jordan when they were in the playoffs, weren't they? It or did I, that was that after? It might have been. Might have been after. after. Might have been just after. But I, I was. St- I still factor in the like because Michigan's a Jordan school. I still call that Nike. Florida's a Jordan school. Still call that Nike. Oklahoma. Yeah, I would say so. But I think there's a difference between Jordan and Nike. I think Jordan is cooler with the kids than Nike is. Some kids now, like like I saw a, some sort of research, you know, marketing research said Adidas was catching up, like to all of them. But I, I think that actually might have been Yeezy, which made it cool. So that's fallen by the wayside. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're kind of falling down. Um, I don't think it matters as much. I think you just have to be. You have to keep up with the Joneses. Like, make sure you got your uniform rotation. Make sure you have some cool, like, uh, you know, sandstorm outfit. You know, you got to, like, you just have to have what everybody else has. If you don't have that, it could be problematic. I don't think the kids care that much if there's a Jordan logo, a Nike logo, an Adidas logo, uh, logo, Under Armour logo, as long as they got what everybody else has. Does that make sense? Like, you, like, there might be a slight difference in some. But I don't think it matters as much as when Oregon made it cool and they were the trendsetter and they had all these different color combos. I don't think it matters as much. I think it matters in basketball because these shoe companies invest in individuals and in basketball. Yeah. And they don't do it in football. You know, they're they're not out there writing these huge shoe deals and these huge apparel contracts and linking you up um, for football cleats. It's just a just a different ball game. And I think that when a college basketball player is you know, first of all, they start in the AAU circuit. Like, right. well, that's when these shoe companies start to identify you. They want you to be coming to the Under Armour camp or the Under Armour tournament. They want you to be coming to the Nike camp or the Jordan camp, all those things. And so they want to be able to go ahead and get in front of you so that when you are, if you are one of the ones that makes it all the way through the process and is selected in the NBA draft, you're going to want to come and sign with them. There's just more money being paid by these apparel companies to individual players in basketball 
then like in football, we have like a couple quarterbacks might come out there and be super popular. I don't know how many commercials with college football players I see for like a Nike ad, right? I feel like it's few and far between and almost all quarterbacks. And so that's why to your point, you want to make sure you don't look janky. You want to make sure right. you don't have right. stuff that is right. downright like, embarrassing. But I don't want to bag them. Like if you had LA Fitness or you know, like feel about Fila's making a comeback. But I'm trying to think of like some janky brand that well, wouldn't. We made fun. Like, of everybody's Russell, got like you know. We made fun of Russell Athletic forever when Russell Athletic was with Georgia Tech, yeah. right? Yeah. Or was, or we embraced it, but right. I, and the I, other thing too is you mentioned about football versus basketball. I don't know if how this ever changes because I guarantee you football players would love to get into some of this money, but you can't wear cleats on the street. You know, you can wear your LeBrons, your Greek free, you know, you can wear your Zion, like you can wear everybody's basketball shoe around and you can't football. So I don't know if the market's there. Maybe somebody will figure it out, but until they do. Um, all right, let's do uh, one, one more from the chat says question. Which of these teams has the best potential to win a playoff game this year? This year, of course, being 2023, the last year of the four-team playoff model. And the options that Sean has dropped in this question from the live chat are Oregon, Notre Dame, Florida State, Texas, Tennessee, and USC. Again, that is Oregon, Notre Dame, Florida State, Texas, Tennessee and USC, which of these teams has the best potential to win a playoff game this year? I think it's easy. Do you? Do you think it's USC? No brainer. I do. Because you know how, but you were down on USC, aren't you? I just see Caleb Williams. I know the Pac 12. See, that that might be the issue is that the Pac 12 with these kind of four to five good teams at the top could see some carnage. They knock each other out kind of like they do every other year that they've been in the conversation. So does that open up the door to somebody else? And then the second best, I might go with Notre Dame because of Sam Hartman. Ooh, like his no. eyes. No. Yeah. I if if we're gonna go second best, I think you got to go Florida State or Texas. All right. I didn't want to be the homer. I would take no. Florida State over Texas because wow. at least like they have to have dramatic improvement at quarterback, whether it's Quinn Ewers or it's Arch Manning. Texas needs to. They need to get it in gear, like at quarterback and offense and just in totality. FSU still lost three games last year in a row. You know, the NC State one, they probably should have won, but they still lost. So they have to they have to make big strides. Notre Dame had three, uh, two ugly losses. Um, I, think I think it's so. USC. Then I think it's Notre Dame or, or Florida State. In the top USC top. is good offense beats good defense. That is your pitch. The idea that USC is going to be able to make it into, after coming, like, so close, like a pulled hamstring away from making the college football playoff in 2022 that they make the college football playoff and having Caleb Williams and whatever improvements are made on the defensive side of the football that the Trojans are able to, to win a game. USC does seem like the, the right answer, but I'm going to go with Florida State as the second answer because I think it is the more well-rounded team and the three-game losing streak also came with a lot of injuries yep. and there's there's something to be said for um, what's happening in Tallahassee right now. And if they do get into the playoff, uh, what the Seminoles might be able to do. I'm going to scratch Oregon because I'll, I'll, I'll cut Oregon first. I think they're going to be a really, really good football team, but I don't know if I'm 
so overwhelmed by the the depth chart as I look at it that I'm going to be. Then is it Tennessee? Then is it Tennessee or Notre Dame? See, I'm big. I'm higher on Notre Dame, I think, than you. Yeah. Tennessee too. You got to go through the gauntlet of the SEC. You know, and you got to like how the Joe Milton experience is going to work out is beyond anyone's guess. It's going to be a wild ride, and they got incredible play, consistent, accurate play from Hendon Hooker, and he looked good. Like, don't get me wrong. Like Joe Milton looked good. Maybe he's learned. He's grown up. But also, who's catching the ball for him this year? I guess you just have to trust they'll find another one. Oh, they got Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy did. Brew McCoy has uh, the stamps in his college passport are awesome, right? Yeah. He's the king of the portal. I mean, they should rename it the Brew McCoy portal. I think, didn't you you say that one time on air? Yeah. (laughs) You go. Go do a spring at Texas. Commit to USC, do a spring at Texas, go back to USC, do three years. Seriously, think he might have been in like the recruiting class of 2015, you know. But uh, Brew McCoy is your answer for for who might be out there as the the most important uh, wide receiver there and the, the the best option that they have. So, um, interesting question. USC does feel like the easy answer, but then after that, uh, a lot to debate and a lot to chew on as we go into it. We will be back Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. With I mean, I think. Danny, I think we can say that the the coaching carousel is done. I think that we can finally do our final recap and analysis of the coaching carousel. So we will do that Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Come and hang out and watch with us live as we break down all of the coaching changes from this past coaching cycle. And you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Danny, thank you very much. See you. show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free lady with a special epic season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter used to be that will be unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale tonight 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus